All right, here we go. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to, good to see all the smiling faces here, and, and I'm sure from around the world and around the United States, there's some smiling faces out there, too, and we, we welcome you. Uh, I saw that Facebook post that Warren mentioned this morning, and I had to look it up. I had to figure out uh, how, what time is it in Pakistan, and it was right now, it would be about a quarter till eight at night on Sunday in Pakistan. Uh, so I, we pray that you're able to watch with us uh, in our morning and your evening and others around the world. And just know that we pray for uh, the church around the world regularly here, uh, and especially the persecuted church. Uh, so if those are, there are those of you that are out there, know that this body of believers here is praying for you regularly. I, I have to give a word to somebody who's here for the first time this morning. Uh, why I met him halfway down the sidewalk out front and asked him if he was coming to church. Uh, we, we meet at the YMCA, and a lot of people try to come into the door where the church is going to be to work out, and you can't get there from here. Uh, so I always direct people over to the correct door on Sundays, and that, that's why I asked you that question. Uh, we're glad, glad you're here this morning, though. Well, let's get started this morning. You can make your way to... Um, uh, Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to start in verse 30 uh, as you're, you're making your way there. Um, but uh, before we get started, let's, uh, let's start in prayer, and uh, we'll ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, uh, we do thank you for, uh, for your word. Um, Father, we pray that uh, everything that is said here today is uh, honoring and pleasing and glorifying to you and uh, that, uh, that nothing is misconstrued and that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will use this word as it goes forth to transform lives. Uh, for those who don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we just pray that uh, something that is said here today out of your word will be used by you to draw people to Jesus Christ. Uh, and that uh, they will come to know him as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, we pray for the, the people from around the world, especially those who are persecuted uh, for their faith, uh, that uh, you would give them peace and you would give them strength and you would give them boldness in their witness, uh, but you would give them wisdom in how to share the gospel with those that are around them and that ultimately the, the kingdom would, uh, would grow as a result of their efforts and that uh, they would be uh, blessed and glorified by it. And uh, Father, we thank you for our time here together this morning. Thank you for the beautiful weather that we're experiencing and the warmer temperatures. And uh, we just uh, pray that uh, people will get out and about and uh, use those opportunities to interact with uh, people who need encouragement, believers who need encouragement, or uh, unbelievers who need to, to hear about you and hear about Jesus Christ and what he did for them. So, Father, we pray for your blessing on this time here this morning, and we ask all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to be uh, uh, going through the parable of the laborers in the vineyard this morning. And uh, that starts, it's a couple of places in, in Scripture, but we're going to use the, the verses in Matthew 19, starting in verse 30 and going to um, uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 16. So if you would, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God, and uh, I'll, I'll read today's scripture for us. But many who are first 
will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with the, what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. You may be seated. Now, it may seem odd that I started in uh, the last uh, verse of, of chapter 19, because in most of your Bibles, the, the laborers in the vineyard actually start uh, in the first verse of chapter 20. But if you've been sitting under Pastor Scott's uh, teaching for very long, you might recognize this as an inclusio. Uh, and the first verse that I read is the first verse, the first bracket that uh, includes some text that helps you to understand by looking at, uh, at those, two, uh, those two brackets. So if you look at that first verse that I just read, you'll see the, the first bracket that surrounds this inclusio, uh, Matthew 19, uh, verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then the last verse I read, Matthew 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 16 says, So the last will be first, and the first last. Very similar verses with the very same theme. And the idea is that you can extract something from that, and it points to the content between those brackets in that inclusio to help you to understand uh, what's there. So imagine yourself, if you will, at a track meet, and there are six runners lined up getting ready for a 100-yard for dash. Uh, the starter's pistol fires and the runners take off and you're waiting at the finish line to, to see how the race ends and the first is last and the last is first. Kind of picture that in your mind. What would, have, what would you expect to see at the finish line if in a race of six ra runners the first was last and the last was first? Uh, the only way that would happen was be if the runners were all crossing the finish line equally at exactly the same time. Uh, that's the only way that the first could be last and the last would be first. Even if, even if there was a photo finish, they would have to be all equal as they cross that, that finish line. Uh, 
So as we walk through the, the text today uh, and look at the text between the brackets, try to keep in mind the fact that we're talking about something that is going to have to do with equal treatment or equal, uh, equal value of, uh, of, of someone in this text. And it's always good, too, to get a sense of the context in which a parable comes within the Bible so that you can understand where it fits and what's, what's been going on. And just prior to this parable, um, Jesus had been discussing eternal life in the kingdom of heaven with his disciples. Uh, the parable of the rich young man is the one that precedes today's text. And that starts in chapter 19, verse 16. Um, and, and it begins like this. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? If you'll recall. Well, that's a loaded question, isn't it? It, it? it assumes, it wrongly assumes, that a person can do certain deeds to earn, inherit eternal life. And we all know that's, that's not true. Uh, but we'll leave that for another time. Uh, but you probably recall that Jesus uses that opportunity to reveal that the rich young man values his treasures, his earthly treasures, more than he values eternal life, more than he values a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus teaches about, and then Jesus teaches about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Remember, he talks about the, it's harder for a camel to, to walk through the eye of a needle. Uh, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And the disciples were just astonished by this, uh, this teaching. And then Peter eventually speaks up, uh, and, and we hear this exchange starting in chapter 19, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What, what then will we have? He's, he's wanting to know what his reward what in eternity is going to be. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in, a new, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So we see that the topic leading into today's, today's parable is eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the disciples are asking, what then will we have there? Uh, and Jesus makes it clear that they will get special rewards. Uh, they, they will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the disciples that he's talking to. But then he concludes by saying that everyone who follows him will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There's that common treatment that, uh, uh, that the inclusio kind of points to. So, so that's all fresh in these disciples' minds as we get to the text that we're looking at today, which starts in, in chapter 19, verse 30. And, and I'm going to read that last verse and the first verse of the next chapter together, uh, but I'm going to take out the word for uh, and put in the word because, because it just kind of flows more with 21st century language. It means the same thing. Uh, so starting in uh, chapter 19, verse 30, and reading through the first verse of chapter 20, and tweaked a little bit for 21st century uh, language. But many who are first will be last, and the last first 
because the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. So the flow of thought is that everyone who follows Jesus is going to get some sort of equal treatment because the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. So let's continue on as we see how the kingdom of heaven is going to be like this master hiring laborers. Now, we know that Jesus lived in a time, that, in a place that was very agriculture oriented. Everyone's livelihood depended on uh, various forms of farming and were directly, if they weren't directly engaged in it, they, they at least benefited by it. And just like societies throughout history, there were uh, wealthy landowners and there were destitute people, both ends of the spectrum. Uh, people who were just struggling to survive day by day. Uh, and then there were people that were on the spectrum everywhere in between of different social standings. But both of the ends of that spectrum are represented in this, this parable uh, of the laborer here. The master of the house has a vineyard. Uh, he probably had family and full-time laborers who worked on his estate throughout the year. But at times, like harvest, for example, or maybe planting season, different times throughout the year, the volume of work would be greater than he was able to do with the people that he had at his disposal in his family. Uh, so at times like that, he'd go to the marketplace, as did every other farmer in the area. Uh, and, and there would be people gathered around there, and these were usually the people on the lower end of the social spectrum, who were waiting just to get hired uh, to go earn a, a pittance so that uh, they could eat that day. Uh, Jesus might call these people the lowly and the outcast. Uh, they would be unskilled laborers looking for uh, menial tasks involving manual labor so that they could receive some amount of pay. Uh, because of the dire circumstances that these people were in, uh, they could be taken advantage of by unscrupulous uh, wealthy people and, and not, not paid appropriately, just like we see in our society today. Uh, and many of them were probably beggars uh, and they were willing to work for ridiculously low wages just to, uh, just to get something to eat. So the master of house goes into this marketplace to hire some of, some of these people uh, for a day's work. Let's go to verse two. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, the master of the house, he makes a contract here with a group of these day laborers agreeing to pay them a denarius a day for a day's worth of work, and he sends them off. Now, that amount of pay is significant to this understanding this, this parable. A denarius was a day's wages for a professional Roman soldier. Um, people who were unskilled, these people were unskilled. Uh, they, they were beggars off the street. They had really no way of making a living other than begging or, or just doing menial tasks and, and earning a little bit of money. So when they heard that this master was willing to pay them a denarius for one day's labor, their eyes would have been popping out of their heads at, at their, their grand fortune for, uh, and the generosity and graciousness of this uh, master being willing to do this. I could just imagine them saying, yes, and then sprinting to the, to the vineyard so that the master didn't have time to change his mind because this, this was just uh, beyond belief to them that they could earn a denarius in a day. Let's go on to verse 3 and 4. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, 
you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Now, 6 a.m. marked the beginning of the work day there in that culture. So the third hour would be 9 a.m., and the master of the house is back at the marketplace, and he happens to see some more people standing idling by who need work so that they can eat. It doesn't appear from the text that uh, he'd gone there because he needed to hire more laborers. He just, just says he, he went to the marketplace and happened to notice more there and, uh, and decided to hire him. Uh, another very gracious act uh, from this, uh, this master of the house, and he tells the laborers to get into the vineyard. But notice, he didn't make a contract with them. He didn't tell them what he was going to pay them. He just said, I'll pay you what is right at the end of the day. Now, Jesus is a master storyteller, and that is important. We'll see why that's important later on. Uh, but it's a significant nuance uh, that, uh, that we see going through this parable. Um, the, the master of the house simply tells them to go get the work in the vineyard, and he'll give them what's right at the end of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never done that. Whenever I've taken a job, I wanted to know before I started uh, what I was going to be making. And, uh, uh, but, but these people were desperate. Uh, they would take anything. And, and I suspect that word about this particular master had gotten around about his generosity and his graciousness. Uh, and that made them a little bit more willing to go work for him without knowing exactly what he was going to pay them. So in verse 5, we read this. They, they went. So they went. And then going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. The uh, sixth hour would have been noon, and the ninth hour would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. Master of the house is back in the uh, marketplace again. Each of those times, he happens to notice more people standing around who are needy and uh, are, are, are just relying on somebody to give them work so that their families can eat that night. And uh, so yet another, in, in two more gracious acts, he tells those laborers uh, that are in need to go into the vineyard and, and get to work. And once again, he didn't tell them what they would be paid. Uh, uh, says, he says he did the exact same thing as the ones that he did uh, at 9 o'clock that morning, that, that second set of uh, people. And he simply tells them to go, to go to the vineyard and get to work, and he'll pay them what's right at the end of the day. Uh, now think about these times too, noon and three o'clock and the location. Uh, this is a very arid desert environment. I would much rather be sitting under a shade tree with a glass of lemonade than headed for a, a vineyard at noon in a desert setting uh, or at three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, so it, it was gonna be uh, hot and difficult labor out there. And remember that first group that he sent out that he made the contract with, uh, they've been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. So they've been out there nine hours laboring at this already. Verses 6 and 7. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Once again, no, no contract, no, he didn't even say here uh, that I'll pay you what's right at the end of the day. He just, he just sent them. So it's, it's five o'clock. We're 11 hours into the workday already. Only one hour left. T 
to work and, and, and the master of the house visits the marketplace one last time that day and finds more people standing there. Uh, and this time he asked them a question why they've been standing there all day and, and their response is because nobody else would have hired him. Nobody would have hired him. Now think about that too. Kim and I grew up south of here in, uh, in a little town in the midst of farm country but we were in a little cluster of houses of about 50 probably 50 homes somewhere in that neighborhood and when school was out in the summer uh, all of the kids were outside playing all of the time uh, whether we were riding bikes or swimming in somebody's pool or wading in the creek catching snakes and crawdads or, or whatever everybody was out playing but one of the things we would often do is all congregate at somebody's house who had a big backyard, and, and my house was one of those. Uh, and all of the, the kids would come there at a certain time, and they'd either bring their baseball gloves and bats and balls or their football, and, and we would get a game going. And, and one of the things that, uh, uh, that we would do is just to keep from having one of the teams stacked with all of the best players is we would pick two captains and then uh, each captain would take turns selecting one person from out of the, out of the group of the people. Uh, and invariably, you know, there was always these three or four people who were the very last to be chosen because they, they were just awkward and they couldn't play ball and they were probably more of a deficit to the team than they were um, a, a benefit. I hope I'm not bringing back any bad memories for anybody here. I mean, it happened in dodgeball, it happened at school at recess, it happened all over the place. Uh, but that kind of paints the picture of what had happened here in this marketplace that day. It was the 11th hour. Uh, landowners had been coming in, hiring people to go work for them throughout the day. Who do you, you think is going to be left at the 11th hour? It's the ones who, who can't hit, who can't uh, catch a ball. Uh, uh, the least able-bodied of all of the workers that were there were, were the ones that were left in the vineyard. But this gracious master says, I'm hiring you anyhow, go, go work in the, uh, in the field. You go too into the vineyard, he said. Verse 8, And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And notice a new character gets introduced in this, in this verse. We haven't heard anything about this foreman up to this point. Uh, but the master of the house is instructing this foreman to call the laborers together and pay them their wages uh, from the beginning to the last. Um, any, anyhow, at the end of the day, they're all there. Uh, everybody has arrived and uh, it's time to pay the laborers. But the landowner gives the foreman some odd instructions. He, he said, pay the last who came first and pay the first who came last. Does that sound familiar from our inclusio? <laughs> Um, and that was odd. I mean, that would, have, that would have not been the normal process for paying people who came and worked for you. You would have just fully expected that the ones who've been laboring since 6 o'clock in the morning would get paid first so that they could go home and be with their families and, and, and feed them. And, uh, and then the, the last who started working would get paid first. But Jesus, in this parable, flips it around. And the last will be first and the first will be paid last. Verse 9, And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now think about that for a second, what I said about a denarius a moment ago. 
it's just it would have been incredible for the people there to hear that to see that happen that the dregs of society the lowly of the lowly had got hired in the 11th hour only worked one hour they were probably the least productive of all the workers in the field during that hour uh, but they get paid a denarius uh, incredible wages uh, for doing that um, Let's, let's go on to verse 10 here. Uh, but, but, you know, that does, uh, the, the, the people who were standing around, everyone who, who would have seen that would have just been mind boggled at the fact that they, uh, the grace that that master was showing to those people. But verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. So there's equal pay throughout uh, all of uh, all of the workers, regardless of when they came into the field or into the uh, vineyard to work. Now, why do you think this is? Why do you think they expected to receive more uh, than a denarius when it came time for them to be paid? Now, don't answer out loud, but would you have expected to receive more under those same circumstances where you had been hired at six in the morning, you had just worked 12 hours, you were promised a denarius and some people came in at the 11th hour and only worked one hour and you both got the same equal pay. Would, would you think that you should have, uh, should have gotten a little bit more than what, what that, that last worker got? Hold on to that question for a minute and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, but let's look at a couple more verses to help us uh, gain some insight into their thinking, the thinking of the, the ones who got paid later uh, and, and got that one denarius. Um, I'll repeat verse 10 and then read the next couple of verses along with it. So verses uh, 10 through 12. Now remember our situation. Jesus has paid the workers uh, a denarius, and then we read this. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So they expected to receive more than a denarius for their labors, and they grumbled at the master of the house because they didn't. Uh, and, and what reason did they give for grumbling? Why did they feel they had uh, been slighted? They, they pointed to the latecomers, the last ones to arrive, and said, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. They were upset because uh, all of the workers would have been treated equally when evening came, regardless of what their contribution was to the work that was done throughout that day. Uh, and do you remember what we gleaned from the brackets uh, that mark off all of this text, the, the inclusio, uh, the first and last verses uh, that indicate uh, what should come in this parable? Uh, and here we have laborers grumbling about being treated equally uh, with respect to pay at the end of the day. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us and have, who have borne uh, the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, he has a good argument there. I mean, it, it makes sense. I, if I were that guy who worked 12 hours and... Somebody came in at the last minute and, and worked one hour 
uh, and they got paid the exact same wage I did. I, I got to be honest with you, my initial gut reaction would be, now that's not fair. <laughs> I worked a whole lot more than this guy did, and, uh, and we're getting the same thing. But, but let's see what uh, Jesus has to say in the, in the next, uh, next in this parable before we commit to taking that position. Proverbs 18.17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Uh, and if, if the other person's Jesus, uh, well, that's all the more reason to stop and wait and listen to see what Jesus has got to say before we decide whether we're going to take the same position that the, that, that uh, uh, grumbling worker took. So let's look at verse 13. Now, just remembering where we are, the workers were, were grumbling that the owner of the vineyard, they were grumbling at him when they, when they get to this verse 13. And in, in this verse we read, But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Now remember, this is Jesus telling the parable. So these are Jesus' words. He's the one that's putting them into the mouth of that, uh, 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 of that uh, vineyard owner, fictitious vineyard owner. Uh, and the day laborer grumbles uh, at that vineyard owner uh, for having done him wrong, for not paying him enough. And that sounded, like I said, reasonable to me at the beginning. But uh, right here, Jesus says that that vineyard owner did him no wrong. Uh, I'm going to side with Jesus on this one and just try to figure out why the vineyard owner didn't do him wrong. Why, why it was okay for both of them to receive the same reward for working hugely different amounts of time uh, in, that, in that day. I have to reconcile my errant thinking with the perfect mind of Christ. And, and that's what we all seek to do as we uh, study God's word. Um, do you remember back in the beginning of this parable, the master of the house had contracted with the first workers to pay them a full denarius. That was the only contract we saw in the entire parable was uh, with the first set of workers he sent to the field and he promised to pay them a, a denarius for that full day's labor. Remember how elated they were? Remember I, I said that they were probably sprinting to the, to the vineyards because they were so excited and they, they didn't want the master to change his mind, so they wanted to get the work. Uh, they knew that this was an incredibly gracious offer on the part of this master uh, to pay them that denarius. They were probably whistling while they worked all day long, looking forward to that incredibly generous pay at the end of the day. Um, now, imagine if the master had only made one trip to the marketplace that day. Uh, and, and the first ones hired were the, the only ones hired throughout the entire day. And at the end of the day, he has his uh, uh, foreman call them together and give them their pay. And he gives them the promised denarius uh, that, that they contracted. How would they have responded? Would they have been grumbling at the master because they got a denarius for that day's work? Oh, they would have, they would have been singing his praises and... Uh, and headed home uh, as quickly as they could to share with everybody the, uh, the graciousness of the master and their good fortune for having been paid a Roman soldier's professional wages for that day's work. Uh, and they had only been out there trimming shrubs or, or moving rocks or something for 12 hours in the hot sun. 
the master of the house honored the contract that he'd made with them under both scenarios, uh, but under one scenario, they were mad. They were, they were grumbling at him, and the other, that they weren't. The difference is, is that they were trying to lay claim to grace. The master of that vineyard was showing grace to everyone he sent in that field, regardless of what time. And the, the, the difference in those two scenarios for those men was that they were trying to appropriate more grace than they, than they were given. And grace is a free gift, remember? It, it can't be earned. It can't be owed to anybody. It's a free gift uh, that, that people get. The giver of a gift has no obligation at all to give at all and certainly has no obligation to give in equal proportions to anyone and everyone. Uh, and make no mistake about it, the denarius was way more than anyone would have ever thought that any of those people could earn in a, in a day's labor. Uh, so it was uh, uh, grace as well that they got that. They, they, they were all recipients of grace. But here are some of the truths that we see at play there. We have no claim on grace. We have no right to question varied degrees of grace uh, that we or others might receive. Grace can be defined as unmerited favor. Many of you have probably heard that definition. And the key word there is unmerited. We never deserve it and we can never earn it. Uh, that's the flaw in the thinking of those who were hired first who expected to get more than they were contracted for at the end of the day. If nobody else had been hired that day, they would have gone away happy and they would have been singing the praises of the master. Uh, but because they saw others getting what they perceived to be greater degrees of grace, they were jealous. Uh, they wanted more than what they had been contracted for. The master of the house expresses it this way uh, at the end of the parable. He says, I am, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? In other words, I'll always meet my obligations to you, but I can be generous to whomever I want to be generous. And, I, and I've done you no wrong, uh, speaking to that, uh, that, that man who represented the first group. I tell you, if you grapple with this truth, uh, there's still seeds of me that think, you know, that wasn't fair. <laughs> Uh, but we have to grapple with that because Jesus just told us that that was right. He, did, he didn't, that man had nothing wrong done to him. So we have to transform ourselves. Uh, well, we don't do it. The Holy Spirit does it through God's word. Uh, but we have to take captive those kinds of thoughts. Uh, and if there's one thing that you take away from this is, is always when you hear somebody say or you hear yourself in your mind saying, well, that's not fair. Ask what definition of fair are you using? Are you using sinful man's definition of fair or are you using God's definition of fair? And then dig into scripture from there and, and figure out how you should, should truly respond. But we've earned nothing. Everything good uh, that we ever get comes from God's grace. Uh, and all of it is unmerited, especially our salvation, uh, which had to be paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, you may recall from the book of Exodus where Moses was speaking to God and he said, please show me your glory. And God responded to him by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious 
and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That's Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19. God cannot be obligated in such a way that he owes grace to anyone. He can't be obligated that he owes mercy to anyone. He chooses to give those gifts to whomever he pleases, in whatever measure he pleases, whenever he pleases. How much grace and mercy he shows one person in no way obligates him to show a similar amount of grace and mercy to another person. None of us deserve it. As the master of the house put it, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? God never treats anyone unjustly, though. Uh, one of God's uh, innate characters is he, he is a just God. He will never be unjust. So when we look at that thing, that parable again, we know that God's not being unjust to that person. Uh, he will never be unjust, but he is free to shower grace and mercy on whomever he wishes. Uh, whenever he wishes and, and in whatever measure. The master of the house gave those first workers uh, exactly what he had contracted to give them, and what he had contracted to give them was already just amazing grace that he had bestowed on them um, because of uh, uh, their circumstances. Now, I asked earlier uh, why those hired first expected to receive more than a denarius when it came time for them to be paid, and and I asked you to hold on to that question, and I hope the answer is pretty obvious now, that the short answer of why they expected more is sin. Um, they would have been rejoicing with their good fortune had nobody else been hired that day, and they were given that denarius, and they were on their way home. It certainly wasn't because they earned more than a denarius. It was pure greed. It was covetousness uh, that somebody else got perceived greater blessings than they did, and they, because of that, they felt like they should have them as well. So let's draw back and look at the big picture of this parable. Uh, Jesus is using analogy to teach spiritual truth here. <clears throat> let's look at the characters and the, and the props in this parable and see, see what they represent in the spiritual world. Because that's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching spiritual truths through these stories of local things. Jesus started the parable by saying <clears throat> he was teaching about the kingdom of heaven. That's right up there in chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, so the vineyard is the kingdom. The landowner is God the Father, and the foreman is Jesus Christ. The laborers are believers, and the denarius is eternal life. Everyone who follows Jesus, who followed Jesus, received equally for trusting Christ. They all got a denarius. They all got eternal life. The workday, whether they came at 6 a.m. or 11 p.m. or yeah, 11, uh, at 5 p.m., the 11th hour, the workday is the believer's lifetime of service to the Lord, uh, and the evening is eternity. So. If you think about those things and go back and reread that parable, it's really neat to, to see how it all falls out. Uh, but the parable teaches that our Father in heaven can choose to send an unbeliever his, to his son, Jesus, uh, at any time during that person's life, and the result will be the same. John 6, verse 37 through 40 says, uh, and this is not a quote, but uh, it, it tells us that Jesus will grant those who come to him eternal life. He will never cast them out. He will raise them up on the last day, which is the will of the Father for the Son to do. And every believer receives a denarius equally. Every believer 
receives eternal life under those circumstances. Now, there are rewards in heaven. I don't get me wrong there, but right back at the uh, end of chapter 19, uh, Jesus, you know, they asked him, the, the disciples asked him that question about what heaven, what is eternal life going to be like for us? And he talked about them sitting on 12 thrones and, and judging 12 tribes. So this parable is not talking about the rewards we will see in heaven. It's talking about the equal gift of eternal life for all who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. All believers will receive this gift when, when the Father sends them to the Son for, for salvation. But even when uh, you do think about very gifts that we're going to receive in heaven, you know, you might think, oh, is there going to be tension? You know, is, is somebody going to lord it over me? Or am I going to be jealous? Well, just remember, there's no sin. Uh, sin is going to be eradicated, and there will be no sin there. So nobody is going to envy anybody's position in heaven, any rewards that they get. Uh, nobody's going to lord anything over anybody. There's going to, we're going to be free of this sin once and for all. Uh, so you don't have to worry about, uh, about things like that. You will be so happy for any good that happens to anybody else because that's what Jesus would, uh, would do. We, we then will respond like Jesus would respond. Uh, 1 John 3, 2 says, uh, We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So when we're in heaven, we're, we're going to uh, act the way Jesus did and does. And praise the Lord for that. Now, I really appreciate John MacArthur's commentary on this parable. I, I drew heavily from, from that. So I want to read a portion of his summation. Uh, and he lists uh, quite a few spiritual principles that we can draw from this. Uh, and I'm going to read down through a few of these. But he, he lists them, uh, and many of them are very closely related to the central theme, the central truth of, this, of the parable, which is that the gift of eternal life is given equally to all who believe in Christ as their Savior. So the first principle, first is the principle that God uh, sovereignly initiates and accomplishes salvation. Remember, the landowner went out looking for workers. And it was he who asked them to labor in the vineyard. And because God uh, does the seeking and the saving in his own initiative and power, we have no demands of his special favor or privilege. Every person who believes has been first been sought out by the Father and given to the Son. That's from John 6, 39. And whether he sought us early in our lives or uh, or late, or whether we answered the call early or late, it uh, doesn't matter. All merit and glory belongs to, to God the Father. A second principle is that God alone establishes the terms of salvation. The laborers in the vineyard came in at different times. They worked different hours. Uh, just like the baseball teams we put together, we can assume that they worked uh, uh, with different degrees of productivity while they were there. But they didn't receive different pay. The measure of God's gift of salvation is not our merit. It's not our accomplishments. It's not what we're able to do in the time that we're given. It's all God's grace. And uh, he gives that equally uh, in the case of uh, uh, salvation. A third principle is that God continues to call men into his kingdom. He keeps going back and going back into the marketplaces of the world around us uh, and calling, calling men to himself. And he will continue to call men until the very last hour of this age. 
The night of judgment is coming when no man can work, but while it is day, the Father will continue to draw men to himself. John uh, 5.17, my, my Father is working until now, uh, and I myself am working, because the Lord does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's out of 2 Peter 3.9. A fourth principle uh, is that God redeems everyone who is willing. Uh, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Uh, Jesus said in, in John 6, 37, all the laborers who went to the vineyard recognized their need. That's why they were huddled there waiting for a gracious master to come uh, uh, help them. They knew that they needed, uh, needed someone like that. Uh, so they had no hope of work except for when that landowner gave it to them uh, and they received it gladly and thankfully. Uh, they had given up dependence on their own resources and looked only to him. A fifth principle is that God is compassionate to those who have no resources and acknowledge their hopelessness. He reaches out to those in need who know they are in need. When the men in the last group told the landowner they were standing idle because no one would hire them, he hired them. The gracious, merciful landowner hired them, the Father. And when anyone comes to God knowing he has no other prospect for life, but in God, uh, the Lord will always lovingly and gracefully and mercifully uh, accept that person as his own. A sixth principle is that all who come into the vineyard worked. Uh, they may have come in at the last hour or they, they may have come in at the first hour, but they all worked. Even the penitent thief on the cross, and I'm sure that's probably already come to many of your minds here, he died within hours, if not minutes, of the time that he confessed his faith in Christ. Yet he still testifies today to the saving grace of Christ. Uh, I mean, we, we all read that in, in Scripture. The history of the church is just replete with stories of people who have made deathbed conversions that then impact others to accept Christ later on. I'll give you one more. There's, there's, there's multiple more, but I'm, I'm just going to do one more and then we'll, we'll close. A seventh principle is that God has the divine authority and ability to keep his promises. At every hour of the day that landowner went to the marketplace, he hired everyone that was there who wanted to work, uh, and at the end of the day he had no shortage of funds to, to pay the full amount that was due to everyone. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world uh, for all, uh, uh, from the fall of Adam until, uh, until the day of judgment. If any person is not saved, it's because he will not be saved. He doesn't want to be saved. Man's sin can never outstrip God's grace. He has enough grace for all uh, because where sin increases, uh, grace increases all the more. And that's in Romans 5.20. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this parable, for the, uh, for the many uh, great spiritual truths that are, that are embedded in this. And uh, Father, we just, we just pray that uh, uh, as we are faced with, uh, with opportunities, with, with situations like, uh, like these uh, first workers in the field, and 
Um, we, we, we tend to respond with, to something that we read in scripture or an event in, in, in the real world around us uh, at work and, and we respond with, now that's not fair, uh, that, that we immediately ask, okay, now am I using uh, humans, sinful nature's definition of what's fair or am I, am I considering uh, God's definition of fairness? Uh, and Father, it makes a huge difference. And I, I just pray that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit will continue, continue to transform my mind and renew my heart uh, so that I respond more uh, in recognizing grace that is being bestowed upon me than uh, being envious of what some other may have, or you know, whether it's even uh, capabilities within the church. and. Uh, I, I know I just marvel at the ability of some to sing or to play musical instruments. And Father, just help me not to, to be covetous of those, but to know that uh, you are gracious to all of us and you spread gifts to all of us in different ways and, uh, and that it takes a, every member of the church to, uh, uh, to, make, to make that happen, to, to fulfill the function of the church. So, Father, we thank you for this message. We, we thank you that your son, uh, the foreman, uh, paid the price so that uh, when you direct uh, a lost sinner to him, he will, he will be able to receive them because he's already uh, paid the price for their sin with his blood. And, Father, I just pray that uh, this uh, encourages followers of Christ uh, here and, and around the world. And I pray that uh, those who may not know Jesus yet as their Lord and Savior will, uh, will take this to, to heart and that the Holy Spirit will use it to work in their hearts and that, that they will see Jesus for who He is, uh, the only hope for access to uh, God the Father in all of eternity. And uh, I just pray that uh, uh, their, their heart will be tweaked and that the, uh, Jesus will uh, accept them and that they will... Uh, see him as their their Lord and Savior. Father, we just ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So I